As views from the sky are not a perspective that humans can have without the aid of machines, they make me dizzy with dreams of being a soaring bird privy to these almost secretive views. And so that captures, I think, uh, how we feel as aerial photographers in you know, being able to see the world. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today, folks, today we are going to a place that we have not gone on this podcast series before. We are going, for the most part, up in the air. In other words, we're talking with David Andache. David is a filmmaker. He's the uh, chairman of a company that I'm going to want to talk about an awful lot, the R.L. Winston Rod Company, and he is a still photographer, and a still photographer specializing in landscape and nature and water from 500 feet in the air or below. He is a graduate of Harvard and Cambridge. His work has been shown all over the place. His films include The Lodger, Icarus, Waiting for Dr. McGuffin, Undressing Hitchcock, June 8, I mean, Winston Waters, Alaska King Salmon on a Fly. That one doesn't make me jealous at all, by the way, David. And Winston Stories. His photography has been shown all over the place as well and got all sorts of uh, love and praise from IPA, the International Photography Awards. David, welcome to the podcast series. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Scott. Thank you very much for having me. Well, this this is going to be a joy. I, as you know, and as people in the Frames community know, I absolutely loved your book, Water Views, the, a photo book that was out just recently. There's a review on the Frames website. It is photography that really speaks to me, um, not only as a nature enthusiast, but from just the artistic standpoint. You're doing something really special, I think, with the aerial stuff. But let, let's back up a little bit. Um, tell me how you got interested, you know, as a child or whenever, just in the outdoors, in fly fishing, and how that moved into making films and then stills. Sure, it's probably not a normal connection, but uh, I grew up in Canada, which explains a lot of it, and, and uh, mm -hmm. spent a lot of time in the outdoors, did a lot of camping, and so that sort of cultivated an interest for me in the outdoors. And obviously, when you have a camera and do a lot of traveling, you know, you're taking pictures of the things you love. And, and that's kind of what drew me to do a lot of landscape and nature photography early. Was this Western Canada? No, I grew up near Toronto or in Toronto and uh, spent a lot of time, you know, there. Born in Montreal, but grew up in Toronto. Okay. So not, not in the foothills of the Rockies or not up on the, you know, the, the Dempster Highway or something like that. No, but since I've moved to the U.S., I go back to Canada at least once a year and spend a lot of time in British Columbia. And mm -hmm. again, back to fly fishing, I go up there with my daughter every fall. And um, it's sort of a great escape and uh, an opportunity for me to get back to Canada and, um, and take a lot of photographs. Well, you know, I, there's probably a good half dozen to maybe a dozen of us in the Frames community who are into fly fishing. It's, it's always one of those secret lives to photographers moments that we have off air and that we can bring it on. Uh, and, and I have a confession to make because you run a high-end um, company with some really exquisite rods. My fly fishing rod I want is a special one. It came in that hard plastic that you get batteries in. Uh, right. <laughs> it, 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 I want you to show it, it's a prestige rod, but I absolutely love it. 
And the reason I bring it up is because there's a kind of patience that fly fishers have to have that is not really evident in other kinds of fishing, a kind of uh, patience and a kind of dedication to skill. Do you think that is a kind of just mindset or a way of approaching the world? Or do you think that's just, this is what you got to do? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I'm not sure which comes first, the patience or the love of fly fishing. Probably the love of fly fishing for me. Uh, I grew up, my dad took me fishing when I was young. And so I was, I've always been a, an angler. And um, when I moved to California, actually, a good friend of mine introduced me to fly fishing. And, and, and in the same way that once I bumped into aerial photography, it just captured my imagination. It's, it, it kind of consumed me and became something I wanted to do to the point where I basically made it my professional life, getting involved in the fly fishing world and um, getting involved with the Winston Rod Company. You know, every now and then something comes along and we pick it up and we think, oh, this is just right. I mean, it could be cooking. It could be auto repair. It could be, you know, hell, tax preparation. But you start doing it and you think this is me, that this is somehow matches my soul. I know that feeling. So tell me, tell me then how you got involved beyond the business into filmmaking. Filmmaking, I guess my love of photography has always been there. It's an interesting, I, I try to kind of regularly tell people I'm not a professional photographer. I am somebody who pursues photography as a creative outlet rather than sort of as a vocation. It's a passion pursuit. Having said that, so is fly fishing. And yet that's the world that sort of I've made my work. But I've been lucky, very lucky to have been able to do the things that I, I'm passionate about. And uh, helping build this little fly rod manufacturing company, it's in Montana, has been a, a great joy. And, and my love of photography, ha I've, I've sort of forced it into my role at Winston, uh, initially as a, as a sort of a, as a student of some of these great landscape photographers, a guy named Andy Anderson, who taught me a lot about sort of the beauty of, of, of landscape photography. And so I worked with him on some Winston photo shoots and uh, trying to gobble up as much as I could. And we did some incredibly fun, bizarre shoots while capturing some still images for Winston. And, and sort of as things evolved, we brought in some new photographers, a guy named Michael Fay, John Conkle, who are wonderful still photographers in different fields. Mm -hmm. And I just learned from them. And I was always taking photographs uh, with film cameras, and there was a big gap, I think. And uh, I was more of an observer than a participant for a long time. But once the sort of advent of the digital photography world reappeared, I sort of turned in my film Canon camera uh, kept my lenses and switched over to the, the digital Canon world, which I think a lot of people have done and explains a lot of the surge and people doing the things that, that I love to do in photography. So then I, I became more and more involved and started shooting some of the Winston photographs myself, you know, in addition mm -hmm. to working closely with people like John and Michael. And, uh, and so that I kind of forced my sort of personal vision on the Winston sort of marketing message and became one of their uh, photographers, and that's kind of how I was able to do both. Oh, that's that's very cool. So the, the still photography came before the motion pictures. Yes. No, I didn't know anything about still photography, and some people would still say I don't know anything about still, uh, about film <laughs> photography, rather. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I, I I mean, I guess my love of film is a little bit separate, or was when I was younger, from my mm -hmm. interest in photography. You know, I was always fascinated. You know, as a kid played around with things in the dark room and learned that way. But again, there's a big gap between doing that and taking it back up when I was an adult. But uh, film has always been, as my friends will attest, um, one of my crazy passions. And 
once I kind of got the confidence to sort of reach out on my own and start trying some things, uh, I couldn't let it go. And so uh, my sort of film excitement overtook my sort of still photography excitement. And, and, uh, and you know, you, you've mentioned some of the things that I've done. And uh, each one is sort of a bizarre story of growth and learning and experimenting. Mm-hmm. Well, see, storytelling, I think, is at the heart of all the work that we do, whether it's still photography or motion pictures. There, I think, for me personally, the very best photographs have some kind of narrative element to it. And certainly nature uh, photography, travel photography, uh, whether it's for you know advertising for the rod company or whether it's just a landscape, always seems to have, for me, a really, really strong narrative implication to it. So, Absolutely, yeah. T- t- tell, tell me about your early days with the drones, because I mean, I, I'm chuckling. I'm, I'm looking at your book again here. And in the introduction, you it, it was not a smooth start for you, was it? No, I guess it's kind of like a lot of things that I've done. I jump in too soon. It all started, I guess, when a friend, Jim Britton, who's one of my friends up in British Columbia, lives up in Smithers, sent me a video of his son riding a bike. Uh, that he had taken with uh, one of these very early, if not the very first, consumer aerial camera. I like to call them aerial cameras. And and uh, I, I called him up immediately and says, "What? How did you take this? What is this?" And he told me what he what he'd done. And so I went online immediately, and I think I bought a used quadcopter, one of these early DJI Phantoms on eBay. And then it arrived, you know, no camera, it was just the quadcopter, you know, I was being cheap, I didn't want to try and buy a um, pre-assembled rig. And um, as soon as I got it back home, I opened it up, my daughter was in the the room inside, I couldn't help myself, I turned it on and immediately flipped over (laughs) and started floundering around on the floor, but I didn't know how to turn it off. So I quickly ran and looked up on the internet how to turn it off, and... um, and then I was able to, and that was an inauspicious start for my aerial photography career. Oh, I, I love it. But, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I hope you had another camera running in the room just to catch that moment. No, no, but, but it's, it, it's, it's etched in my memory forever. But then, there, you know, there are lots of steps along the way to getting to the place where mm-hmm. you think you know what you're doing. And then, of course, you're never really there. But And there, there are lots of fun adventures and scary moments and failures. And, uh, you know, I've lost a few cameras. Well, t- tell me some stories. Yeah, I've lost a few cameras along the way. I mean, I think part of trying to get new and interesting photographs is pushing things a little bit. You know, that combined with relative inexperience and in learning how to fly the quadcopter in the early years caused me to bump into things and... Uh, one trip to Belize, uh, the very beginning of the trip, I sent the camera up on the Belize River to take some pictures of the river that flows into the ocean from the Belize jungle. And as I was filming, the one of the props fell off. And in those days, the props turned on in a different direction than they do now, which is a sort of safety feature, so that doesn't happen. But but in the early version, it didn't do that. And one of the props fell off. And so I have some interesting, about five seconds of interesting video as the quadcopter fell to the ground. <laughs> And uh, and that was sort of my first out of air experience. So th- this was streaming video back to a laptop or something. How was the video actually being you know captured? Yeah, initially it, it you basically had to mount a separate camera onto the quadcopter, which is se- you know separately powered, 
you had a, a, a mounting rig with lots of tiny little screws and separate battery. And so, and you turn on the GoPro, you set the interval that you want to take the photographs or, or video, and then you send it up and you fly it over the subject, you know, hoping to get something interesting. You know, it lasts, you know, the GoPro X battery lasted longer than the quadcopter battery. And, uh, and so then you get it back and you really would not know what you had until you downloaded the images off of the disc and um, to check it out. But the, the GoPro cameras still are very, very wide angle. So you got right. a lot of interesting wide angle shots. So you, you literally were you're just pointing in the general direction of things you wanted to catch. You, you had nothing in your hand that was showing you what you were looking at. Initially, that's right. And then incrementally as sort of the technology and affordability improved you know you would add things like i, I bought a, a separate transmitter and and uh that would connect to a separate monitor that i had again each one had to be powered independently so i had lots of batteries and lots of things and a huge sort of pelican case that carried it all together and and so i was trying to get to the place where you are now and these quadcopters come ready-made with all this stuff included now but each step of the way um you kind of had to move at the pace that technology improved. But before I had the ability to see the image I was actually filming and flying, I would just have to hope. And it really helped actually in terms of my sort of piloting skills because you learn to fly the quadcopter while not looking at the monitor. You looked at the quadcopter and you flew it intuitively like a video game. And so um, I think that really helped me. And so now I think I'm just a much better pilot having gone through that phase of not having had the monitor in front of me. Oh, very cool. And, and I, I want to talk more about the photography in a second, but it occurs to me there's probably an awful lot of photographers listening at the moment who are clearly aware of drone photography but have no idea what it actually involves in terms of certification, in terms of talent and stuff. So walk me through just you know like the legalities of being a drone pilot. Yeah, the certification part of it is... Pretty simple. I think that um, as as an amateur, and uh, I've I've lately moved to the smallest possible quadcopter, which is something that I would recommend. It's called a, a Mini Two. It's an excellent uh, camera. It's it's got about the same quality chip as as probably the second generation Mav, the first generation Mavic, which was a second or third generation um, quadcopter product. So the resolution of the photography is excellent. And a couple of photographs in the book were taken with that same resolution camera. And so that, uh, that camera weighs 249 grams, which is an intentional number staying below the 250. So if you're an amateur photographer and want to take photographs, the, the regulations are pretty clear that you're, you know, you, you use common sense and you have to register it. I think you have to register it. And I've registered mine. But but if you want to go b- above that, and there's this whole world of professional aerial photographers that I'm not a part of where they go with much larger rigs, you know, some as wide as three feet and six copters and carrying, you know, uh, 35 millimeter cameras and uh, that kind of thing, which is not a world that I've been in. No, but And you do need to get an FAA um, certification to fly those things. Not if you're under 249, 250 50, grams. Yeah. yeah, right. But ab- above you do. Above yeah. you're meant to, yeah. Yeah. Um, what about those early shots appealed to you? The early shot, well, I, I mean, I was in this sort of wow phase of just being so excited about being able to see the world in a completely new way. And, um, and so I basically took the camera with me wherever I went. You know, I just, everywhere I went, I would just stop and, and film and, you know, sometimes video, sometimes stills. In the early years, 
Uh, because the still resolution was pretty poor, you know, it's basically whatever the early resolution GoPro camera allowed. I really, and I was still kind of coming off having, you know, done movies, done a bunch of short films and the feature film that you mentioned. And, uh, and so I was really kind of interested in, in supplementing my inventory of, of, of filmmaking techniques and learning how to film and do aerial photography. And so uh, I'd mostly shot video at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I understand you know the sort of the dramatic appeal of the the higher elevation, um, but there's there's an aesthetic appeal too. And and switching over to your still photography, l- let's talk composition for a moment. You you make the claim in the book, and I think you're you're dead on that. You know, we're more or less accustomed to the view from an airplane. We're absolutely accustomed to the view from the ground, but from ground to 500 feet or so, that's a point of view that's not common just for our everyday experience. Yeah, the 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 actual it's 400 feet, and lately they've been um, into the sort of software that these cameras come with. They've got sort of very sophisticated geofencing provisions in there to keep people from. They're meant to keep people from flying into places they're not supposed to fly. Every once in a while, I'll I'll see an NFZ or NFZ symbol on the on the monitor, which tells me that I can't fly there, no fly zone. And mm-hmm. so um, you just literally can't take off. So there's some provisions, safety provisions that are built into the camera to keep you now from flying in areas that you're not meant to go. Well, what, what about that perspective, though, is insightful? Why is it, you know, the view of a river from 250 feet is so compelling, whereas the view from eye level may not be as dramatic. Yeah, I think it's um, not necessarily better. It's just different. And that's the part that excited me. And and all of my sort of still photography past and even some of my film work has been really interested in trying to come up with a different way of of seeing things. And and so that's what the aerial imagery provided. And um, and you know, coming coming out of my role as a sort of landscape photographer working with Winston, um, this just added a new perspective and depth to that kind of. It's basically a subset of of, of aerial photog- of landscape photography. You know, and I think it gives it gives you opportunities to obviously shoot things in a completely different way and see the world in a very different way. There's there's a wonderful quotation that James Prozek provided for the book, which the publisher actually used in the, in the inside flap. And if I can read it, it says, as yeah. views from the sky are not a perspective that humans can have without the aid of machines, they make me dizzy with dreams of being a soaring bird privy to these almost secretive views. And so that captures, I think, how we feel as aerial photographers in you know, being able to see the world in a completely new way. Does it change the rules of composition? I don't think it really changes the rules of composition. I think you have more, you both have more uh, options and fewer options. And you have sort of ground, you know, you're not sort of stuck with being on one side of the river, for example, and shooting a subject that's standing in the river. You can go over to the other side if the sun is, is coming from a different direction. You can go up overhead and point directly down, which creates a whole different kind of emotional response, I think, than if you shoot something at an angle. And so the, the overhead view I use a fair amount, as you saw in the book, that creates a much more sort of objective point of view, whereas it's, it's a much more personal statement when you shoot something from the side. It's just what I found in terms of my own pictures. Okay, now that's 
that's a really interesting distinction because I, I just happen to have the book open at the moment uh, to a beach shot, a bunch of uh, red cir- umbrellas with red circles on them uh, and some beach chairs and stuff. And it's taken directly overhead, straight down. This is a image that works brilliantly from the point of view of geometry and shapes and, and just the way that lines um, appear. You've got you know the, the lines of the rows of the umbrellas. You have the lines of the umbrellas themselves, the occasional breaking of it where there is no umbrella. There's just beach chairs and stuff. But the straight down image strikes me as, I wouldn't say objective, but I would say going after a different content field, going after line as the sort of preliminary subject matter. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that, you know, everyone responds differently to images. I, I don't know if the one you're talking about is uh, Lido de Mitaponto, which was taken on um, in Matera yes, just after my wife is. and I were it, driving. And uh, and it's, 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 it's somehow, that became one of my favorite new photographs just because of the things that you mentioned. And um, it just was, this, it was an unusual day. I was, I was driving with my wife and my wife is is, is a passionate swimmer. And so every few hours in the car, she wants to stop and go for a swim, which gives me the opportunity to bring the camera out and, and often take pictures of her in the water. And some of them are in the book. But this day, it was very windy and the water was choppy. So it wasn't going to be as interesting to shoot her. So I focused on the, on the umbrellas, which were, for the most part, unoccupied because it was such a bizarrely windy day. And so there's, that, that, there's something about that photograph that resonates because there aren't that many people and it's just umbrellas lined up. In a, in a very geometric way. And that's a point of view and that's a perspective that's provided by shooting directly down. And um, right. and I think the geometry of it all is enhanced by virtue of it shooting directly down. Whereas if you'd shot it at an angle, you'd have a totally different feel. You would. I'm looking at, at another image here. This is the one that begins uh, a California section. It's a bunch of small boats at anchor. And again, you have very much that straight down image but here you've got all these boats. You've got brilliant color contrasts between sort of, you know, the, the green uh, of the ocean at this point and some red interiors of the boats, some brown, whatever. Um, but it's all shapes. I'm, I'm just really impressed with how the straight down image, you know, some of your images are just waves crashing on a beach. But from straight down, it becomes more, you know, like one third lines or quarter lines. It doesn't have the drama of a curling wave. It has a completely different kind of sort of emotional ask for us. Are you are you searching for that when you're flying around composing shots? I think that's an inevitable consequence of shooting that way, shooting directly down. I think that now I've shot I've shot anglers that way as well. And 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 somehow there's just a different emotional connection to the subject when you when you do shoot that way. I think one of the photos you're talking about was taken at Lake, in Lake Tahoe, and uh, early in the morning, and the wind hadn't come up yet. Again, so it, it was incredibly deep. The water in Lake Tahoe is very clear. So there's this sort of unusual space that the photograph communicates between the bottom of the boats and the and the and the and the bottom of the lake, and and that mm-hmm. water depth is shown by virtue of shooting that way directly down as well. You tend to shoot from an altitude um, where the people are relatively, if not very small, in the images. So you're shooting from several hundred feet versus 30 feet. Why? I I think the drama of the photograph is just more compelling and more interesting to me to shoot that way. And again, that's a consequence of having done a lot of landscape photography and learned from some of the best photographers that I've, I know. And that whole notion of a single angler in this spectacular setting by himself is sort of a romantic view that all, as you know, all 
fly fishermen enjoy. And, uh, <laughs> you know, being on the river by yourself with, you know, rising fish at, you know, at, at the end of the day is just a, an incredibly beautiful and romantic moment that, that we've, we've experienced. And so, um, you know, I, I did a lot of my early landscape photography capturing those moments. And so that translated easily, I guess, into, you know, when I wanted to take, you know, my era of photography and start shooting similar fly fishing images. And so I think just the power of the moment. One thing I like to describe is that if, you know, in terms of the difference between film and photography, um, if you take the beginning or the end of a film shot, the shot that I would, you know, I would use to start those shots would be either the beginning or the end, and that would be the still that's in the book. Let's take just a quick break. We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. And if that's the case, you might want to have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. The, the, these images of the, of the small person in the large landscape, there is a sense of humility there. We've got a little bit of scale with the human, then we've got this great grand landscape there. It, it's very difficult not to be sort of humbled uh, at the same time as being impressed looking at them. And yet, one of your award-winning still photographs, not with a drone, is a you know, relatively close-up of a lot of water around a fly rod and reel um, being splashed everywhere. So, I mean, you are no stranger to working up close to your subject either. Is there a hard break for you between commercial work and personal work? There's there, there's no break because I don't really do commercial work. You know what I mean? It, my Even my work for Winston is just done out of affection and excitement about okay. sharing a, kind of a, a, what I do with the company. So it's not something that they pay me for. Um, it, it's um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, aerial photography, you, you know, there's no real point in sending up an aerial camera and getting, you know, five feet away from the subject, right? You can do that with a with with a with a camera on a stick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's sort of a different category of photography, landscape photography. We're showing the drama of the world we live in, and you know, our, like you said, so our, our you know the relative humility we should we should show in, in the face of the world that we live in, and and that leads to some of the environmental messages that I'm, I'm eager to have people kind of pick up on that, um, you know, the world's an amazingly beautiful place and, and um, I'm lucky to have the opportunity to capture it in 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 its current beautiful form. And let's just hope it doesn't change too fast. Absolutely. A couple of things I want to go back to. You mentioned that your wife was a strong swimmer and there are of course images in the book uh, of her. Do you ever find yourself saying, do that again or swim back over? I missed it. Or I, I have this, this image of a art, art shot going on um, that's going right or going wrong. Or is it just, she's going to go for a swim and you're going to catch, capture what you can. She goes for a swim, and I'll capture what I can. Uh, occasionally, I'll, it's also <laughs> difficult because I'm not necessarily that close to her. She's a very strong swimmer, so immediately she'll go out and far deeper than she'll ever be able to hear me. I'll try oh, okay. sometimes to to wave at her to tell her to kind of go back the other way or whatever. <laughs> um, but you know, she um, if she can hear me, she's very accommodating. But for the most part, I like to try to shoot what's happening as opposed to set things up. You know, obviously. You know, knowing that she's going to be going out there, I'll get ready to shoot her. 
But um, and that's also kind of part of the signature uh, style. I think I try to encompass when I shoot. You know, the fly fishing shots. These are in situation images of people fishing, and I'm there, and I've got a backpack with my aerial camera, and I'm fishing beside them, and suddenly the light will change, or I'll just get you know, tired of not catching fish and we'll go off to the side and start taking photographs of my friends who are with me while they fish. And so there's a certain, and I think it comes across in some of the images, which I'm proud of that, you know, these are, these are real moments and not set up shots. Well, that's no, that's really intriguing because let's, let's go back to tech for a second. The light changes and you think now, how long does it take you to get airborne and start shooting if it's all put away at that, you know, moment zero? For from nothing to in the air, how long does that take you these days? I would say not longer than ten minutes. Oh, okay, but I mean, long. it takes me. Yeah, I mean, if I'm actually fishing in in the in the river, I'll need to walk to shore, unpack the bag, open up the quadcopter, unflip the, the the arms of the propellers, turn on the units, wait for it to kind of you know connect with satellites. And then, and then I'm off and running. And then, you know, I'll send the camera up and I'll fly it around and experiment with a couple of different positions, which is one of the great freedoms you get with having an aerial camera. You know, if you're, if I were to take the same photograph while standing on the ground, you know, I really have that one perspective only, right? If the person's right. down downstream from me, for example, I'm going to take that shot. I can't unless it takes, you know, someone to spend half an hour walking down below the angler and shoot back upstream. Whereas with an aerial camera, it takes me a minute to fly downstream, turn it around, and and shoot back in the opposite direction. Tell me what, what the, the drones can do these days, just in terms of their own capabilities. You know, there's the, re- the return to home feature, but what, what else can they do? Well, the most important feature is the return to home feature. And I don't like to, and this comes from having done a lot of area photography from the very beginning, where you really need to keep it within line of sight, which is one of the sort of uh, kind of requirements and, and and requests of people flying aerial cameras. but And that has come in handy many, many times when if you push it again a little too far and the camera's out of sight, particularly as these new smaller cameras are a little tougher to see, you know, you lose track of the camera, you push the re- return to home button and it comes back, which is great. And you can disable it once you see it again and then mm-hmm. sort of re- re- you know, start shooting again. But that's an incredibly important feature. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny how when you're in the wilderness sending your camera up, how easy it is to get disoriented in terms of everything starts looking the same, right? You know, you have, right. you know, you're, you're, you've got trees everywhere and you don't know which direction you're pointing. So you could easily um, get lost if you didn't have that feature. But there are other in-camera features. There's a focus button. You can select which, you know, sort of section of the, ca- of the image. Now, this is more, most modern versions of the camera where you can pick your focal point that's, you know, for me, it obviously, if, the, if based on my framing, I'll, I'll focus on the angler and the river, for example. Um, mm-hmm. You can, you can, very important, another important feature is the exposure value. You need to be able to, for me, I'm shooting raw, so I want the maximum latitude and how I work on my post-production and not blow out the blacks or the whites. So I try to shoot it in a way that allows me to fix it later on, uh, mm-hmm. or work on it later on. And so that's, that. those are kind of the, the main features. There, there are other features if you want to get more creative in terms of shutter speed and ISO, but you know, I, I, I'd stick to those, those few ones that I mentioned. So basically, you've got all the basic commands of a DSLR in your hand and a little monitor showing you what the drone's looking at. Yeah, and the new ones actually also have a little zoom feature, which I, I also don't use. I'd rather just move the camera up and down to, to frame it properly. 
um, rather than using a Zoom feature. But yeah, they're they're getting more and more sophisticated, and the ability to take take photographs gets easier and easier. Does it take you a long time to compose a shot? Do you, do you get to a you know a, a certain area and then mess with it for a while? Yeah, I mean, I have 15 minutes. So sometimes, depending on where I am and what I'm shooting, like some of the shots of Italy, I've been sending the camera a little further away, and I'm always a little nervous I'm going to run out of battery, and I've had that happen once or twice. And, so um, f- 15 minutes is all that the drone will last? Yep. Okay. That's each battery, and I have three batteries that I carry with me, so you know I, I can't get too far away. And um, it says it's got this enormous range, but I never use it. I always try to keep it within line of sight. <laughs> and uh, and so I'll send the camera up and, you know, invariably you'll see something you like. You take a photograph, you move it around, you you take a different one. And then you're always excited about the first one and then until you see the second one. And then um, it becomes, uh, I mean, again, as I mentioned before, you have the ability to move around and and take it with regard to, you know, where the shadows are, are going or where the light source is and um you know, sometimes you don't know what that is until you're up there because you can't see it until you get up there. <laughs> Do you ever run out of battery mid-shoot? I have run out of battery. The combination of running out of battery, there's actually Icarus, the film you mentioned, which is a, a fun sort of non-narrative video about sort of the beauty, again, of the outdoors and, and set around uh, anglers fly fishing. And the very mm-hmm. end of Icarus is a shot where after the battery ran out, instead of it just plopping from the sky, it actually sort of slowly drifted down, all of it caught on film, and then it just sort of lands on the rocks. And then there's the final shot is me, me running up to the camera in frame to quickly turn it off. And, uh, and so that was my most dramatic running out of battery moment. Another, another thing that can happen, which is, it's a little worrisome. It doesn't happen that often, but somehow, sometimes you can get disconnected, right? So you have the transmitter, which communicates with the camera. And if you lose that connection, you know, that's worrisome. And so sometimes you have to quickly do a reset or, Fortunately, the return to button home works in those circumstances most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I was in the Bahamas doing a shoot in Abaco. A friend was meant to come with me, but wasn't able to go. So I wound up doing it myself and a guide. And um, I was shooting us in a, in a boat, pulling the flats, looking for bonefish. And I didn't know where the camera was. I mean, everything looked exactly the same. I couldn't see the boat. And so I just pressed return to home, but it didn't respond. And I'd lost the connection. And then, you know, five minutes went by and we still didn't know where the camera was. And I figured, okay, I have 15 minutes until the battery runs out and I'm going to hear something. We didn't hear anything. And uh, so we started walking around, finally found it. The guide found it uh, about 100 meters away in about a foot of water. And it turned out that that was the home point that I had set it to return to. (laughs) And so that's how we, uh, but fortunately, the, uh, I mean, it's sad. That was one of my favorite cameras, but um, the, um, the photograph survived and one of them's in the book. Um, you know, a lot of people dealing with DSLRs, you know, image stabilization one way or another is, is a source of purchasing decisions. Um, how stable is the hover in a drone these days? How, can you shoot long exposure? I haven't done a lot of long exposure stuff just by virtue of um, the types of images I'm trying to capture. I, mm-hmm. And I haven't really even experimented with it, but you have the ability to to manipulate shutter speed. You know, it's just if if you're going to get aggressive, then you might find it's not quite as stable as a as a tripod or other things. But they're they're very stable. They are okay. I, I have seen some of them used around here in town I mean, by advertising companies and stuff like that, and I've been impressed by what appears to be, you know, a very stable hover. 
No, they're they're incredible machines, and the technology is unbelievable. And uh, and there's far more that I could do with it than I know how to do with it. And um, you know, like I said, it's a it's a learning experience, and I should experiment more. And I look forward to doing that. Let's let's go back to one other thing you said, um, and that's the shots from an angle. Again, I'm just all caught up in composition because your photographs are so brilliant, so compelling. In you know the overhead shots, the the angles and the lines and the ge- the geometry are brilliant. The shots from a side, you said those were more personal. Why? I don't know. I just feel like they communicate my point of view as opposed to sort of a global point of view. It draw it make it kind of creates a more personal connection with me and the person that I'm with, who's often either a family member or a close friend. And I and I just look at the photograph and 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 I like to describe the images in the book as being not photographs of places, but their their moments that I've captured. And so I just okay. feel like there's a little bit more of that subjective connection on those sort of shots that are angled and um maybe it's just because you can see the the angler in a better way you know you can connect to who it might be and given that i know who it is and and there's a a story behind how we took every photograph how we got to where we were to take the photograph that that makes it certainly far more personal to me well tell me one of those stories oh well um let's see there's i've told you a couple but there's there's one when i was in british columbia with my with my uh, daughter uh, a couple of years ago and we got up early in the morning and um, we went out on the river and I'm just so incredibly lucky that she loves to fly fish, loves to be with me for a week every year. And uh, we went out and, and I actually sent up the camera. I couldn't see anything, you know, about hundred feet off the ground. I was in this dense fog and suddenly the fog started to clear and the photographs in the book and you can see the top half of the photograph is pure white and the bottom half of the photograph sort of gradually becomes more visible. And there's my daughter in the river uh, fishing. And it's just one of my favorite shots. Oh man. Um, do you ever get, get back and start looking at the photographs and, and you think, you know, thank you universe. You, you, this, this is better than I ever could have hoped. Cause I'm looking at one right now, a friend of yours named Mark uh, swinging a steelhead fly. Um, and it's, Brilliant. I mean, he, he is centered in the frame. The line is straight. The shadows are just, you know, in completely the right angle. You could not have planned this photograph. No, I think that's one of the benefits of just having the camera with you at all times is that you have the opportunity. And I would say 90% of my photographs, aerial photographs, are happy accidents that I just happen to be there and send the camera up. And then you see something that's just dramatic and compelling. You know, you just really can't anticipate what it's going to look like completely. And um, yeah, it was just a great moment. Mark and I were fishing this one run called Moose on the Babine River, and um, the light was streaming through the trees, and this, these shadows were cutting across the river you know, every six feet. And, um, and so taking the photograph from above of his fly line very, very straight below him as he's swinging a fly became such an iconic image of fly fishing and steelhead fishing yeah. in particular. Yeah. So many photographers, you know, if, if I say, what are you taking a picture of? They don't say a building. They'll say, I'm taking a, a picture of anger or I'm taking a picture of peace or I'm taking, you know, th- they'll give me a mood instead of a physical structure. Does that apply to your work? I don't know that I have the themes are that specific for me. 
I'm, I guess as a, as a photographer and filmmaker, I've always been interested in finding things that look different from maybe what the human eye can see. And in particular, as a romantic, I'm just moved by beauty and can see and find beauty in, in different ways. It can be a close-up shot of something, it can, or it can be an aerial shot of somebody standing in the river. And you kind of know it when you see it, but you don't see it until you send the camera up. And so there are plenty of moments when I'm saying, you know, oh, wow, oh, my goodness, to myself, standing in the river, this is incredible. And, and um, you know, I'm, it's just uh, I, I never get tired of it. It's, it's really a wonderful, wonderful privilege. Very cool. Um, two final questions, but both sort of practical, I guess. Somebody listening to this is, is getting inspired and thinking, okay, that's it. I'm going to go get a drone. You know, just at, at the practical level, what, what is your advice for somebody just getting started? I think it's, uh, you know, the technology makes it very easy to start out. I think that if, you're, if you love, you know, taking photographs and you haven't done it before, it's certainly something that I think you would enjoy. I think starting off with a, a, a Mavic Mini 2 is a great idea. It has you know, all the technology you'd ever need and um, pretty simple to start. I think that, you know, be careful at the beginning. You need to learn how to fly it. And, you know, that requires some practice as it does to be good at anything that's, you know, you're using your hands and your eyes and your brain all at the same time. But yeah, I think that uh, it can add a new dimension to um, subjects you've been photographing for a long time. And you'd be surprised at how excited you are to, to shoot something that you've seen every day in a completely new way. It, it, it is sort of uh, sort of funny in an odd way that the you know the initial advice is be prepared to lose your first camera. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can ever fully. I don't think you can ever fully prepare yourself for the surprise that you know. And and initially, now they actually have in addition to, to geofencing, they have object detection, so it can actually stop and prevent you from backing into things. But um, oh. when I've been up in British Columbia, I was shooting some bears in the river, you know, at a sort of safe. Uh, safe distance and I was sort of backing away to get a better perspective on them and of course ran into a tree and the and the, the camera <laughs> fell onto the bank and fortunately it wasn't damaged but now that that you're protected against that they have these uh these warning sounds that will keep you from doing things you're not supposed to do oh my and you know I hadn't thought are drones good for wildlife photography or do animals mostly run away I think you want to exercise a little bit of respect for wildlife yeah. when you yeah. i mean one of the things i'd love to do at some point is go to africa and shoot some wildlife but you have to do it in a way where you're not going to interfere with you know how the animals behave but i haven't really done a lot of it you know i've just i was literally in british columbia and we saw some bears and you know and so i thought wow let's see if i can get a picture of this Let's give it a shot. Yeah. Okay. Last question. And, and sort of like the tech question in terms of aesthetics, in terms of light, in terms of composition, what, what's your advice for somebody just getting started? I think you'll, you'll see on the monitor when things don't look, you know, as good as they do from a different position. So move the camera around, you'll see what looks good to you. I mean, it's like, uh, giving advice on any aspect of photography. Ultimately, I think a, a photograph works when it becomes personal, becomes meaningful to you. When, you, like you said, it becomes, you know, part of a story that you're trying to tell. And so part of the fun is is experimenting and, and playing with light and shooting in different ways. I think um, a lot of these photographs where you're shooting directly down can be 
great during the middle of the day. You know, I lots of shots of my wife swimming I've shot in the middle of the day. And again, you get a lot of depth in the water when shooting that way, whereas normally the middle of the day isn't necessarily going to be the best time to take uh, landscape photographs. So a lot of shots in the book, for example, were taken at, at you know, late in the evening when the shadows sort of stretch across the river and those are those are compelling in a different way but you know you can work with the light and find something beautiful regardless absolutely well as you know from the review perspective means everything and the drone gives photographers a a a new perspective a new way of, of saying this is what we see in the world David, thank you very much. This has been brilliant. I, I'm probably going to go get a drone here pretty quick. So thank you very much. Wonderful. Thank you very much for having me, Scott. Frames. Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com.